Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. All right, Jacob, man, we are blessed to have you back on the show again, mate. Thanks for joining us. Not a problem, Danny. Honored to be on again. Well, we get such good feedback every time you come on. So I thought, geez, we're about overdue to have you back on again. So um, I think today's episode is going to be a real valuable one for a lot of people. We're going to be talking about muscle hypertrophy. Uh, We're going to keep the discussion pretty open. Jacob and I just had a a chat before about um, what we're going to talk about and we really have no plan. So um, there's a lot of questions that I know you guys that are listening at the moment would have about muscle hypertrophy and, and what it actually is, how to achieve it. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of different questions, so we're going to try and get through um, a lot of that today. So, Jacob, to, to start the show, man, what, how would you best define muscle hypertrophy for someone who has no idea what it is? Yeah, awesome. So, I think it's one of those words that we throw around, but not many people actually uh, know what hypertrophy is. It's, by definition, the enlargement of tissue through the expansion of cell size. So, Recently, we just did a webinar uh, at JVS Education on all things hypertrophy, so uh, it's pretty fresh in my mind, and we we covered a lot of the the basic stuff, but again, muscle hypertrophy is just growth of the tissue, so it's changes in cell size uh, that are determined by the net amount of new proteins being generated uh, when compared to the amount of existing proteins that are undergoing degradation, so breaking down the muscle, and this is where we need protein synthesis uh, to exceed protein uh, breakdown. Now, it's not a process that uh, occurs all the time. So we don't just build muscle protein all the time. We are constantly in a state of flux where we're building new proteins You know, after we train, after we eat, and then when we're fasting, when we're not training, the body starts breaking down uh, protein. But at the end of the day, if our net our protein balance and synthesis uh, is in favor of generating new tissues. That's what's going to lead to muscle growth. And I guess the question is, what is it good for? Well, obviously, uh, looking good naked. Um, as I can see here on the image of you with your LA cap on, jeans, top off, you know, that's, that's the objective. Everybody wants to look like Danny Kennedy. And yeah, that, some other benefits was, are increasing. That's what I was just for you. But now everyone gets oh, it. Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have told the listeners my that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess obviously it improves our aesthetics. It makes us look bigger. It's good for increasing force production capacity, so strength, speed, power, uh, storing glucose as well. So the more muscle we have, uh, the more we can dispose uh, and store glucose, which means uh, we're going to have a better insulin uh, sensitivity, so improved insulin sensitivity, which is useful uh, for obviously preventing metabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes, diabetes, uh, improving sex life. It has been studied and a whole heap of other things. So I guess, yeah, in a nutshell, that is what hypertrophy is. And for the listeners, it's really important to note that muscle hypertrophy uh, is caused by resistance training primarily. It's the most potent stimulus uh, outside of uh, drugs, banned drugs, uh, that will lead to muscle growth. So it's not actually nutrition that causes muscle growth, and that's a misconception many have. They eat more protein, they eat more calories, they're just going to build muscle. That's not necessarily the case. We need the stimulus to uh, cause 
muscle hypertrophy to increase our muscle protein synthesis so that obviously at the end of the day it exceeds breakdown so that's a little bit about hypertrophy man yeah awesome and you know, something that I, I would like to bring up just quickly before we before we keep going is for those that are listening after hearing what Jacob's just said now, um, and, I, and I guess for some males as well, but in particular females, it's really important to understand that muscle hypertrophy is not a bad thing. It is a good thing and it is something that, that, that everyone should be striving to train for to increase their lean muscle mass um, in the gym. And we talk about it all the time, but you know, listening to this now, you are, know you are not going to get big and bulky by lifting weights and, and hypertrophy and, you know, working on uh, building that muscle mass. But we also have a range of listeners uh, for the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast, which is awesome. So we've got people that are just starting out that, you know, this might be their first episode they've ever listened to and they're just trying to get into the gym. We've also got people that listen who um, have been training for a long time that are advanced lifters. And when it comes to building lean muscle mass, Jacob, obviously we have different levels of, uh, of training in terms of that stimulus we need to, to build the muscle mass. So do you want to give us a rundown on kind of, uh, I guess a real brief rundown on, on how you would, you would, uh, what you would recommend for someone that's just starting out compared to someone who is very advanced like yourself or, or, or me who have been lifting for a long time? Yeah, for sure. So I think when a beginner is starting to train, uh, they will respond to pretty much everything. And before we go any further down that rabbit hole, it's important to note that there is a tenfold difference in individual response to resistance training, meaning that you could have a training program set up and one person might get absolutely crazy results um, and see you know kilos of muscle added over the course of months. And another person might get absolutely no gains and they may in fact even lose muscle mass. So there is a very uh, large inter-individual response to resistance training. So everyone's going to respond a little bit differently to uh, you know, the training stimulus. So that's really important to get out of the way. And, and in terms of how... That's, uh, that's really important, um, as, as you just mentioned as well, to not to, to try and get out of that mindset, sorry, of correlation versus causation. So, you know, for those that walk into the gym and see Jacob doing certain exercises and certain rep ranges and following a certain program, then it's important to understand that just because he's, it's working for him doesn't mean you can go in and do the same thing and expect to see the same results and vice versa. Exactly right. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. And what we need to remember is that at a physiological level, uh, the same principles and concepts hold true, uh, whether you're a non-responder or you're genetically gifted or whether you're a beginner or you're an advanced athlete. And we'll talk about those really quickly. So the first concept uh, that will lead to muscle growth is what's known as the size principles. So basically, our muscles are innovated uh, by motor units. And as the demand of the task increases, we recruit more motor units, bigger motor units. And when we have high force demands or fatigue, so we're lifting heavy weights or we're training close to failure, we recruit uh, the large motor units, which innovate the largest and the most fibers. So this is really important. And the, the second concept is the force velocity relationship. So muscle fibers can produce more force when they're able to contract slowly. So when we start to uh, fatigue a little bit and our rep speed slows down, we produce uh, more force and there's more cross-bridging 
that occurs between the actin and the myosin filaments, which are in the muscles. So they're two really important uh, concepts to understand. And the third is the length tension relationship. So muscle fibers will produce different amounts of force at different lengths. So basically we want to train through a full active range of motion. So no training through partial ranges of motion uh, or, you know, with too large a stretch where we actually can't contract the muscle. Uh, we need to train through, you know, as full a range of motion as possible so that we can uh, produce a, an amount of tension on the muscle that will cause uh, those cross-bridging cycles to occur. So what this means is that when we go to the gym, we need to make sure that we're lifting heavy enough and recruiting those high threshold motor units or we're training uh, under fatigued conditions. So, uh, you know, closer to failure. So basically, we've got a number of ways that we can build muscle, but all we're trying to do is uh, place a stress on the muscle that's going to cause it uh, to break down and then it will grow and we will adapt and get bigger over time. So very important to uh, recognize these factors because this is what underpins our training program. So long story short, there's no easy way to build muscle. You're either going to have to lift heavy or you're going to have to train pretty hard and push yourself through a bit of pain. Uh, but primarily we're looking to get mechanical tension, which is uh, loading on each individual fiber uh, through the lengthening and shortening. So basically when we're just contracting our muscles. So if you think about a bicep curl, we want to be placing the tension on the bicep as we go through elbow flexion. And this is what's basically going to cause a hypertrophy down the track. So we get the force demand, we recruit those uh, motor units, we then get cross bridging, we generate force, and then tension is applied to each active fiber. And then there's a number of uh, mechanical uh, processes that occur that lead to myofibular protein synthesis uh, increasing. And as we mentioned earlier, if synthesis exceeds breakdown, uh, voila, we get hypertrophy. So that's a little bit about the process of hypertrophy. And for beginners, they're simply not going to need as much of that stress. They're just going to need a little bit. So when we're training a beginner, someone just starting out on building muscle, they won't need to train uh, too close to failure. They won't need to use heavy, heavy loads and they can use moderate volumes. So when I talk about volume, uh, we're talking about number of hard working sets per week with an appropriate uh, intensity of effort. So this is where we measure things using the RPE scale, so rate of perceived effort. And we generally want an RPE of seven or more uh, when we're talking about hypertrophy and we're calculating a hard set because it helps us standardize things. So beginners won't necessarily need to train all the way to failure. They can use less volume because basically anything they do is going to be a, a greater stress than what they've previously been doing. And we really just need to focus on techniques, so training through a full range of motion like I spoke about earlier, learning how to contract the muscles, perform the movement safely, and then once they master the movement patterns, then we can start to progress the volume, so adding in more sets uh, to get more exposure to tension because volume can be seen as exposure to tension. So we need that mechanical tension because that's what will cause the muscle to, to grow, but we need the right dose of that, that tension. Mm. So that's what volume is. So yeah. once a beginner starts to build muscle, uh, as their progress slows down, their technique's good, and we simply need to train harder over time, which means we need to dial up the exposure to the tension, so adding in some more hard working sets. And we're probably going to need to train a little bit heavier to recruit those high threshold uh, motor units, and then also train a little bit closer to fatigue to make sure that we're uh, training them under 
condition that's going to see slower uh, contraction because remember the force velocity relationship uh, is really important to building muscles. So that's how beginners should set things up. And when we get advanced, that's when things become a little bit more nuanced and we need to start altering the training uh, program to allow for periods of really hard training, but then also periods where we, we back off enough because we don't get adaptation unless we get recovery. And this is a really uh, big problem I see with a lot of lifters is that they train really hard, but they train hard too often. So they're under-recovered constantly. And we, we won't see uh, muscle growth unless we're getting recovery. So as an advanced athlete, usually you can train pretty hard. You know how to hurt yourself and you know how to put your muscles through quite a lot of stress and you can tolerate it. And obviously you've, you've built up you know, a bit of mental fortitude to be able to train balls to the wall and punish yourself. Uh, so it's really important as you become advanced to learn how to design your training cycles where you have days where you're training closer to failure, uh, you know, a lot of fatigue, but then you have days where you might not be getting as much fatigue so you allow recovery to occur. So with an advanced lifter, very important to make sure that their training is distinctly hard at certain periods, whether it's within the micro cycle or it's within uh, the mesocycle or the macro cycles over longer time spans, uh, but then also having periods of distinctly easy training to allow for recovery, make sure that they're not beating up their joints too much and they're not burning out. So with your advanced lifters, just a little bit more specificity in terms of the exercises they select as well. So as you become advanced, you'll notice that some muscle groups just don't respond as well as others. So you might need to have specialization phases where you select one particular muscle group and that's going to be a priority and you decrease your training volume on other muscle groups, which allows you to free up additional uh, recovery resources to go towards recovery for that muscle group. And you'll see more growth because obviously now you're able to dedicate more of that training stimulus to that muscle group uh, and simply rotating through the muscles uh, as a priority from one mesocycle to another uh, is a really useful idea. But I would say that if you are setting up a mesocycle, there's a specialization phase, you would want to make sure that it's probably around eight to 12 weeks because any uh, less than that, and you're probably not going to get uh, sufficient exposure uh, to the tension because we know that muscle growth does take time and especially as an advanced athlete. So yeah, I guess some practical uh, guidelines for uh, how fast you can expect to gain muscle. As a beginner, you should be aiming for 1% to 2% of body weight per month on the scale, uh, aiming to see that climb uh, you know, over the course of weeks and months. And then as you get more advanced, you can expect to see 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight per month. So things are going to slow down quite a lot. And it is quite difficult to measure uh, whether or not you're building muscle. Um, obviously, uh, DEXA scans, they try to predict uh, changes in lean body mass, but there's a number of errors that are inherent to those machines, uh, but that's a story for another day. So how I measure muscle growth with uh, myself, my clients and athletes is I'll be looking at scale weight. So using those rates of gain that I just spoke about, also looking to the visuals. So how they're looking uh, you know, in their progress pictures, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're gaining weight on scale or your DEXA scans improving, if you're still looking the same or you're looking worse, uh, and those measurements are really useless. And also uh, in the gym, you want to be setting uh, PBs in the moderate rep ranges across multiple sets and multiple exercises. So for example, if you're training with a three by eight on the squat at 100 kilos over the course of time, 
you probably want to be seeing that progress to a 4x8 at 120 kilos. And if your quads are looking thicker, they're filling out your jeans and your scale weight's climbing and your body fat percentage isn't uh, shooting up too quickly, so you're not just uh, gaining a whole bunch of fat, then that's a pretty good proxy for muscle growth. So again, the differences between beginners and advanced, really just the, uh, the dose and the uh, magnitude of the stress that they need uh, doesn't need to be much, and they're going to gain muscle a lot quicker than what they would at an advanced level. We're going to see a slower rate of gain, and they're just going to need a little bit more of that uh, tension at distinctly uh, specific periods. Mm, 100%. And before before I go on to this next question, I think it's important to note, um, guys, uh, whoever's listening at the moment, it's, it's important to know that ideally the, the most optimal way to achieve what Jacob's been talking about so far in terms of with your nutrition is in a slight calorie surplus. Um, we talk, I've talked about it on the show before in terms of who can gain muscle mass um, and, and lose fat at the same time or gain muscle mass while eating in a, in a calorie deficit, especially if you're trying to lose fat. And we kind of know that that's people that are either just starting out in the gym that have never really trained before, those that may be severely overweight that have a lot of weight to lose, or as Jacob mentioned earlier, anyone who is, I guess, pharmaceutically enhanced using basically steroids. Um, so if, if your goal is muscle hypertrophy, then it is extremely important to be eating in a slight calorie surplus if uh, you know, at a bare minimum at maintenance which is going to help you recover enough in between sessions and allow your body to recover and grow and jacob this question you know i'm sure you get this question all the time as well um, i think it'd be beneficial for the audience to hear this when someone asks you what rep range is the best range to work in to build muscle mass what is the answer that you give them yeah that's a, a very common question the best rep range to build muscle uh, doesn't exist because there has been some research over the last couple of years that has found that muscle hypertrophy uh, can occur through a very broad spectrum of rep ranges, so anywhere mm. from 3 to 20 reps. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when we understand the, the physiological concepts uh, that we need to satisfy to build muscle, we can see that there doesn't really exist a, a magic rep range because, again, all we need is high threshold motor unit recruitment, which means we need to either lift heavy weights uh, or we need to train under fatigue conditions and we can do that with any rep range. So generally speaking, I think the best rep ranges uh, for muscle growth aren't necessarily going to be specific to the phase itself. I think uh, exercises will determine which rep range you should be training through. For example, it doesn't make a lot of sense to train your squat with 20 reps. Uh, mm. it's, it's very risky, very dangerous. Each exercise that you perform in your program and is going to lend itself. It will suck. It's going <laughs> to lend itself pretty well to a certain rep range. Uh, and from there, then we can start to navigate how we're going to get the appropriate stimulus from this exercise. So what I mean by that is if we have a squat and we're training, say, four to eight reps, that makes a lot of sense. And we probably don't want to be training the squat under too much fatigue because we could potentially hurt ourselves because we're going to be using uh, greater absolute loads. And when we use loads greater than 70%, we get pretty much all of the motor units uh, recruited from the onset. So it's not going to matter too much if we don't train under fatigue conditions because we're using heavier weights. So with your big compound lifts, your multi-joint exercises, I would recommend training them anywhere between four to 10 reps and tr trying to stay away from failure so that you're not going to hurt yourself. 
Then with your isolation exercises, machines, where the risk of injury is going to be a lot less, that's when we can start to push towards those uh, higher RPEs, so getting closer to failure, and we can train under fatigue conditions with uh, much slower contractions. And therefore, we're going to satisfy all of the physiological requirements for muscle growth. And yeah, that, that's my answer on that, man. So I think the exercise will determine which rep range you should be training through and then an appropriate loading zone uh, using common sense. Because again, training deadlifts, squats, and bench press to failure, risky business. So you want to stay away from failure. Use those heavy weights. You're still going to recruit all your high threshold motor units. And then with your isolations and machines, you can push the envelope, get closer to failure, and you're not going to hurt yourself. Awesome. And, and another question that I wanted to ask you actually is um, you typically see, so for example, you might see a program and it's, it's a strength phase or you see a program and it's more of a high volume, you know, quote unquote hypertrophy phase. Can the hypertrophy, for those that are listening, can the hypertrophy be achieved with a strength phase? That the reps that are uh, pretty much lower, you're following a, a training split at that current time where the reps are lower, the weight, the intensity is higher, so the weight's heavier. Can you still achieve that muscle hypertrophy if you're not overloading in, in a higher rep range as well? Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. And it's, it's funny. I think people... I'll just, just cut you off quickly, sorry, because um, I'll most likely forget I got the memory of a goldfish. When I was, like, for example, when I was younger, um, when I, was, I first started out in the gym, I remember getting a program written for me by a trainer and there was rep ranges that, you know, it was between, I think we were working between like, five and eight reps and at the time I, I was just thinking to myself and I remember telling a friend I was like man like I'm trying to build muscle there's no way I'm going to be just doing five to eight reps I feel like it's nowhere near enough to actually build that muscle mass and I know a lot of people are probably in the same mindset because if I was thinking it, I'm sure others are thinking it as well so um, you know what yeah what is your thoughts on that yeah man that's a really good question so uh, it's one of those cases of uh, which came first the chicken or the egg you know if you get strong do you build muscle or do you build muscle and then get strong um, but I think, yeah, it does go both ways by getting stronger in the gym. We will experience muscle hypertrophy and you can definitely build strength in lower end rep ranges as well as muscle provided again, you satisfy those physiological requirements. So if you're progressively increasing the amount of tension that you're placing on the muscles in the four to eight rep range or five to eight rep range, like you were, and you're adding weight to the bar week to week and getting stronger on your squat your legs will get bigger. You will hypertrophy uh, your quads. So you can definitely build muscle in the lower end rep ranges. However, there is a trade-off. And I think it's really important to think about everything that we do in fitness, in training, uh, nutrition, whatever it is, as uh, you know, trade-offs. That's how life works. So when we train in the lower end rep ranges, we're typically going to need more sets because what is happening is we're getting high amounts of tension but we're not getting a lot of exposure uh, to the tension. So we're not getting many uh, what's known as effective or stimulating reps. So what will happen is uh, we'll train with, uh, say, a four, uh, four reps on the squat and we are going to recruit all the motor, high threshold motor units and that will be great in uh, recruiting the motor units, but we're not going to get the fatigue and we are going to need more sets uh, to, to get some fatigue and to be able to get a significant amount of volume 
in because remember volume plays a big role in muscle hypertrophy because it's that exposure to tension. So we're getting lots of tension, but we're not getting much exposure to the tension. Whereas if we do higher reps, more, we can typically uh, get the same amount of uh, stress or stimulus, but with less uh, sets. So what will happen is if you're training in the low end rep ranges, you will need more sets. Uh, the other trade-off when you're training with lower end rep ranges and heavier weights is that it will take more time generally and it's going to beat up your joints a little bit more. So hence, taking those factors into account, I do think that it's more appropriate if you're trying to build muscle to train between the 6 and 15 rep range predominantly because you're going to get uh, more stimulating reps. You're going to have less uh, time that you need to, to achieve that and it's not going to beat up your joints anywhere near as much. So again, trade-offs, it's not necessarily black and white. This is uh, yeah. you know, for training strength and this is for building muscle. Uh, we can achieve the same or very similar outcomes with both uh, but again, there's just a couple of considerations we need to have. And most importantly, uh, again, every exercise is going to be suited to a certain rep range. So if you're training between five to eight reps on your side raises, uh, that's probably not going to make a lot of sense and you're not going to get a much effective work on the delts there. So the side raise would suit the higher end rep ranges a lot more than the low end rep ranges. So that's, that's just my thoughts on that anyway. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And, oh, man, there's been so much good stuff already. And, and I've got one more question that I'll, I think, again, a lot of people get value from. Again, this is something in my experience that I probably didn't do well early. I know a lot of people, and you see a lot as well, that aren't doing it well. Now, in regards to how much time, especially um, at the beginning of someone's, I guess, lifting career or, or training career, how much time should be spent in that small surplus and focus on building up muscle mass compared to, you know, quote unquote shredding? Um, cause you see a lot of, especially younger, younger people spend, you know, a lot more time trying to get lean and almost, almost, uh, just spinning the wheels in regards to their training is edged towards building muscle mass, but their nutrition is, is not. So they're almost contradicting themselves and, and what their results are. So they don't end up making that much progress in the long run. Um, so something that I've learned over, over time is, is allowing my body to spend a lot more time in a state where uh, I'm giving myself the best opportun opportunity to actually build that muscle. And then when I decide to, to lean down or when the time comes, you've actually got something to show for the work that you've been putting in. So what is your recommendation on how much time someone should spend in that surplus trying to build the muscle mass compared to the time spent in a deficit trying to get shredded? Yeah, that's a really good question, Danny. And it's going to be very individual. So if somebody's starting out with high amounts of body fat, I don't recommend spending time in a surplus. Obviously, they need to strip down. But if a male gets between, say, 15 and 20% body fat and females can just add 10% on that, so 25 to 30%, uh, that's a pretty healthy body fat percentage. Now, everyone's going to be a little bit different in terms of what the appropriate body fat percentage is for them to build muscle because some people just naturally leaner, some yep. people a little bit on the heavier side. But basically, to build muscle effectively, yes, you're right. You need a small surplus so that we have sufficient uh, resources available to go towards uh, building those new proteins. And we're going to need to spend time at a body fat percentage that is conducive to recovery because that will allow for the adaptations. 
So we want to get to a body fat percentage where we can train hard. Our training is predictable. So we can go in the gym and we know that we are going to be strong. We're going to be able to perform uh, you know, in a consistent manner. And that's going to allow us to progressively overload the training stimulus week to week, month to month, and making sure that we recover. And that's going to mean not looking your best all the time. And this can be really hard for a lot of people, like you mentioned. Uh, it certainly was for me. I was dieting and always trying to get lean. Mm. But the reality is to build muscle, a small surplus for most people, so 10 to 20% above maintenance calories, uh, and getting to a body fat percentage where they get predictable performance, good recovery, uh, you know, good sleep, good energy, and they're strong in the gym. That's the goal. If you can, you find that sweet spot, you've just got to be patient and, you know, trust the process. Have faith that all your hard work and the short-term sacrifice, uh, you know, delaying gratification to not look your best right now, but in five years' time, you know, you'll be turning heads because you're going to be looking so much bigger. And just a side note on that, when you do build muscle over the long haul, you actually look a lot leaner uh, at the same body fat percentage. So, for example, if you're 15% body fat and you've got no muscle, you're not going to look that great. But if you've got an extra 10 kilos of muscle mass on you, 15% body fat looks damn good. Huge. And you've got a few more humps and bumps and curves and whatnot. Uh, the, the contours, they, they can change the way that we distribute body fat and, and how it looks on our body. So again, sometimes we need to delay what we want right now, the instant reward, and you know, pursue what we know is going to pay off down the long run. Exactly. It's an investment. Brother, straight fire again today. Thank you so much. Um, so much value in, in today's episode again. So um, appreciate you coming on again, man. Not a problem, Danny. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, if, we, if we ever get around to it, guys, we are Jacob and I are going to film some some videos uh, once our schedules can line up a bit and um, some more valuable content for you guys around training. We can actually go through some of this stuff a bit more practical in the gym and whatnot. But um, for those that tuned in today, hope you took away a lot of value. I'm sure you did. If you did, please do take a screenshot of this episode on your phone within the next 30 seconds and chuck it up on your Instagram story. Tag myself tag Jacob um, we'd love to hear your feedback and let us know what you'd like to hear next because I'm sure we'll do another one in the near future um, so again thanks Jacob appreciate it man uh, for those who are listening make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and uh, I'm looking forward to chatting to you again in next week's episode awesome thanks Danny <laughs>